Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. Glad to be back at you again. I got a special guest that we've been announcing, and he is a retired NFL football player tight in. His name is Hakeem Valles. What's up, brother? How you doing, Tom? Thanks for having me today on your podcast, brother. Man, I'm doing good, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Hey, so we're going to just dive right in, man. Um, so, you know, preparing for this interview, I kind of looked up stats of, you know, um, of statistics of what um, it takes to get into the NFL, right? And so the first one I came up with it was was um, high school students, right? Nine out of 10,000. Nine out of 10,000 make it to the NFL. And then the college was one out of 50 seniors. So this, you know, this whole idea of like getting into the NFL is like winning the lottery. It's not really that far from reality, man. So, you know, I just wanted to bring the question starting out, like, what did it take? What did it take? It took an unbelievable amount of discipline and uh, an un- unbelievable amount of trust in the process. Because um, me personally, with my college career, I was a bench player. So uh-huh. I didn't actually, get, I didn't get to see the field until my senior year. And I knew deep down that, you know, like, I know I'm a, I knew I'm a good football player. I know that I'm here for a reason. I know, you know, that I think that I have what it takes to make it to the league. But like, if I know for a fact that if I don't get on the field, I'll never, I'll never be in the league. <laughs> Um, but what it's really taken is, you know, one thing I actually was, I was in, a, I think I was doing a keynote the other day and it just kind of came to the back of my mind of it's those, those cliche moments when no one's watching, when you have that opportunity to not do that extra rep, that extra workout, or, you know, when you're doing your summer workouts and, you know, you can, only, you can do just half the workout, maybe not do the conditioning or something like that. Right. It's, it's those moments when you actually execute and you have the discipline to actually follow through with it. I think is what it takes, you know, to be or make it, you know, to the NFL. And I, I like, it really brings me back to one moment in college. I, uh, I really was holding myself to a standard to get like a certain amount of catches in every single day. And I was getting it with one of my other tight ends and it was, it was my senior year. So I just got, I just turned into a tight end and next season was going to be my last season. And we were going to Penn state for a thing called arts fest it's like a pretty much a party all weekend. I'm not sure what it has to do with art, honestly. <laughs> um, and we were, uh, we were like, uh, what's the word? Caravanning or uh, carpooling, carpooling up there. It was like yeah. four or five of us up there, uh, gonna drive up there. And I did, I couldn't go until I got my catches. And it was uh-huh. like, I remember vividly like holding everybody back, people being upset with me, like, yo, come on, like we gotta get up there. And like, we missed like maybe some parties and stuff like that because I had to get my catches in first. And I like, that's like a pivotal moment that I can remember that like, okay, maybe if I didn't get those catches in, would I be in the NFL? Right. <laughs> like, I don't know, but I think it's yeah. that type of discipline is what it takes to make it there. Man. So like, give us a, a little bit of insight because you know, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't know nothing about being a elite athlete, and I know uh, a lot of my listeners don't. But what what did your routine look like as far as uh, building y- yourself up physically and, and mentally and all that stuff? 
Um, I'll take you back to when I was training before I went to the NFL. It was a four-month uh-huh. period from January to April. Um, it was it was intense. It was I trained at this place called Test Football Academy. It's in Martinsville, New Jersey. And it was it's very, very blue collar. Like there's some training facilities that could they're kind of bougie and kind of uh pristine. <laughs> it's very very blue collar. Um, in the sense, I mean, it was we trained six days a week. Um back to kind of those cliche moments you know if they tell people you know be the first one to show up and the last one to leave and like i made sure i did that every single day right and i mean it was six days a week mondays through fridays it was you know i'd get there seven seven thirty we started work at the first workout i think was at like nine and you know from seven thirty to nine i was stretching i was hot cold hot tub cold tub contrasting i was getting in maybe 300 catches all of that and then the workouts would start at nine We'd go into lunchtime. During lunchtime, it was me personally. I, I knew I was an entrepreneur and wanted to be a real estate investor. So during those times, that hour of lunch, I was listening to podcasts and audiobooks mm-hmm. and would go like by myself by myself to uh, to do that while I was eating. And and then afternoon, we would lift weights and do more football focused things. Um, and then afterwards, we'd be done probably around three thirty four ish. And then there was a there was a quarterback coach his name was Tony Racciopi who was training people at that facility like high school kids and I went up to him and I'm like look like I want to get some extra catches in I don't care that you guys are using a high school ball but I see that you're the one who's actually catching the ball and teaching these guys how to throw so why don't I make your life easier and I'll just stand in whatever place you need me to stand in and I'll catch balls for you and I'd be listening to my audiobooks and podcasts but I'd be catching I mean hundreds of hundreds I'd have to get a new pair of gloves every three, four days because they would rip (laughs) catches on them. Um, And then same thing, I'd go back home. My my commute home was an hour and a half. So audiobooks, podcasts, didn't listen to any music. Um, But before that, I would, same thing, hot tub, cold tub contrast, stretch, roll out. And I'd get back to my house at college. And that was probably where the real discipline had to set in because I lived with six other guys who were living out their senior year of college and like it was their senior spring, so it's time to really, really have fun. Nah, and I had to be, you know, disciplined. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, mm-hmm. there's a party going on in the basement or in the other room, and like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do about it? Like in that sense. Um, and then really the diet. You know, I I was I was eighteen and a half percent body fat going in in January, and when I left in April, I gained two pounds, but I was at nine percent body fat. And it was, That's I mean, it was amazing. very, very strict. I completely cut dairy out of my diet uh-huh. um you know i mean i only probably the only thing i drank was water um food wise it was either salmon or grilled chicken and uh-huh. and like that was it my snacks were rice cakes with some uh-huh. almond butter on them or a bag of 21 almonds that was considered a serving size right um and that that was that was it and it was you very very regimented but it was hands down the best that i ever felt in my life and when i showed up to the Arizona yeah. Cardinals in April, May, it was, uh, it was time to get after it. That's amazing, brother. You know, I know, um, you know, cause I'm very, um, you know, I look at myself a lot and then, you know, I communicate with other men. Um, and sometimes the bottom line is, is we're just not willing to do what is required. We're not willing to do what it takes to uh, achieve the success that we want. So, you know, where, where did you find the discipline and the motivation? Because, 
that's where men say, ah, I'm just not motivated. I'm just not disciplined. Like it's like some magic thing that they need to find somewhere or something. Like where did the the discipline motivation come from? Um, I think it it really came from a couple of things. Mostly it came out of gratitude um, in the, in the sense that the fact that just, just being grateful for the fact that I have the opportunity to be in this position. Um, and then, you know, it really came from, and I know you want to talk about it later, but the, the, the Haiti story, the Haiti incident. Yeah. Yeah. We can go um, into that brother. Yeah. So it was, you know, after my, like I said, I was a bench player in college, so I, I didn't see the field until my senior year and senior year, first game, I had my first catch second game. I started every game after that. And then I got awarded, afforded my a fifth year because I registered my freshman year. And it was that summer um, going into my grad school fifth year, right before summer school started, me, my mom, my dad, and my grandma, we went on a missionary trip to Haiti. Um, our mission was we brought medicine to different um, churches and orphanages across the country. Um, and I'm Haitian, so it was it was hands down the most beautiful week of my entire life, just being able to ingrain myself with the Haitian yeah. culture, eat the food, talk the language, not really talk it because I don't understand it yet. <laughs> Try to talk the language, um, you know, understand what a tree ripened mango tastes like versus uh-huh. a store-bought mango. It's completely different. It's like, it tastes like a different fruit. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And then it was, it was May 29th, 2015. It was 2.30 in the morning. Me and uh, three other missionaries, we were playing the card game called Spades. Um, and there was a storm that night. So we had, um, a, uh, steel door that we, that had like a deadbolt in it, but we opened it up so the breeze could come through the screen door because it was very hot and we obviously did not have air conditioning. <clears throat> and while we're playing spades, all of a sudden you just hear this loud, pow. And like my initial reaction was, you know, who's hitting an electric fly swatter? at 2.30 in the morning because we were mm-hmm. we used to play games and just knock down all the flies with the fly swatter. <laughs> but in reality, that sound was a gunshot. And all of a sudden you see a foot kick through the front door and eight bandits storm into our compound, you know, behind that guy. And there was a guy sitting across the table from me named T. He jumps across the table and tackles me out of my chair. And he essentially saves my life because that guy who shot through the front door then turns at us and shoots at us point blank and misses and there was a girl next to us she had a shawl on they take the shawl rip it into pieces and they hog tied us so hands tied at our wrists behind our backs feet tied at our ankles and then hands tied to our feet and then blindfolded and then the bandits they went room to room and they stole everything and in that process they punched one lady in the face they attempted to rape another lady there was a pastor who was staying with us and like Mm -hmm. if you didn't know where his bedroom was you would have like, there's no shot. You would have looked there. So he was hiding under his bed and he calls the police saying, you know, send help or under attack. And the cops say, you know, where are you guys located at? Nope. We don't come to that area. Good luck. Click. Wow. Hang up on him. Um, and then he calls the next door neighbor um, and tells him to go outside with your pistol and just empty the clip out in the air. So now you hear, you know, I don't speak the language, but out from my vantage point outside, now I hear like all these gunshots going off. Um, and I think the country's under attack. I have no idea what's happening. Uh-huh. And um, once you heard those gunshots, we had thought the bandits had left. But on our compound, we also had 
the house we were staying in. And then we had like a medical clinic because we also had patients come right to our, directly to our compound to uh, get um, treated. And they were in the medical part of the compound, stealing our medical supplies and things like that. <clears throat> and at that moment, my dad, who, I mean, he's 21 years, New Jersey State Police. He had, you know, from his vantage point, wakes up hearing his son screaming and not in, I was sleeping in his bedroom, but I was out playing cards. So it doesn't see me in there. Um, but he untied himself, crawls out to see if anybody got hit by the bullets uh-huh. and, um, you know, closes the steel door, puts the deadbolt in and starts to untie me. And about 45 seconds later, you just hear a loud, doom, 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 doom. The bandits are back. They're banging on the front door, banging, banging, banging. And we're all trying to be quiet and like thinking we're safe because we have the deadbolt in now. Um, and then all of a sudden, psst, 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 they start shooting out the windows. And my dad was like, okay, 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 okay. And like opens up the door. I thought they were going to kill him, but they roughed him up, tied him back up, threw him on top of me and went through the house again. And I mean, you know, from you know, my perspective, I mean, I saw my life flash in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. I urinated myself and didn't even realize I did. And I just remember in that moment being grateful because my, my little brother is also a professional football player uh-huh. and he had just gotten drafted to the Oakland Raiders about a month prior but he was already out in Oakland doing his rookie mini camp and doing his OTAs and stuff like that. I just remember being grateful that he wasn't there and that he was going to be able to live out his dreams because I knew that we were, I essentially came to peace with the fact that we were all going to die. Wow. And so the bandits, they came back in, um, went through the house again, stole more and more and more and more stuff. And that pastor who was hiding, he had actually done the prayer that morning at the prime minister's office. So he then called the prime minister himself saying, send the police, were under attack. Uh-huh. And, you know, finally, about 45 minutes later, you hear sirens in the distance and the bandits, they scurry off. Um, the cops come, they were there for five to maybe 10 minutes, told us to take pictures on our phones or cameras if we have them and bring them by the station if you want. And good luck and left. Yeah. And like, that was it. And like three days later, I started summer workouts. And like, I was, I mean, I was messed up mentally, had some awful PTSD. And, you know, I saw someone, I saw a shrink on our campus, which really, really helped. And I believe, you know, overcoming that traumatic experience is what gave me the motivation and ability to make it to the NFL. Because after that happened, it really just kind of came down to like, one, if I can go through a situation like that, one, what can can I go through? Right. Two, I can frame that scenario against anything that I'm doing. Meaning if I have to run conditioning for hours and hours and hours all it's nowhere near as bad as being tied up knowing you're about to die Mm -hmm. if i have to if i had to run a 5k or a marathon i've never done that before but it would be easy because it's not as bad as about to be it's it's fun in that sense and that's kind of where the gratitude comes from i'm just grateful to be afforded just different opportunities and just live life because i mean life is just a beautiful thing in its own. You know, the, the odds of being a human being is 400 trillion to one. All right. <laughs> so be grateful for that. Just like, you know, if you haven't had an experience like that happen to you, just right. let, let that be your, uh, your frame of gratitude. So, you know, after that experience, it was kind of just like, I really just let that build. And like, I never actually told anyone the story while I was playing until was towards the end of my last year. Um, uh, I got really close to one of the reporters and he did a, a really nice story on it. Um, but while I was playing, I didn't tell anyone because I really used that as almost my chip in my back pocket. Cause in a sense that you don't know who I am and you really don't know what's, what I've been through. Mm-hmm. 
that in the sense of I didn't, I didn't, I don't watch football on TV. I don't watch sports center and things like that. So I didn't necessarily know all of the guys that I was going against. So, you know, I'd, you know, finish a game and guys, you know, I, my buddies would text me, Oh, you were going against this guy in this game. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, you know, know, I know his scouting report, but I don't know, his, you know, his real, you know, his, his, what the media gasses him up to be or whatever like that. So it was uh-huh. more of, I don't know you and you really don't know me. So I'm going to tear you up now. And like, that mm-hmm. was kind of my mindset while I was playing. And then I realized that after that article came out, that that story is actually quite motivating and I can get a lot of people's attention um, after telling it. So once I started speaking, it's kind of what I, I base my speech around, depending on what topics I'm going into, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's social media, yeah. whether it's um, the real estate. I usually will bridge that story in there somehow because once I bridge it in there, I, I mean, you, you can hear a pin drop in the room and you have everyone's attention. And now right. you're in a position to teach them whatever you'd like to. And I think that's where some people can get evil with things. If they had something happen to them, now they have someone's attention and now they try and, I don't know, get them involved in a pyramid scheme or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, that's not me. So that, that, the fact that my message is pure um, it really helps. And it's kind of just been growing organic since. Yeah, man, that's powerful. You know, I, uh, it's kind of depends on your mindset and, and, you know, who you are as a person. Um, Cause some people that experience would destroy them. Um, they would come back and um, like you said, uh, the stress, the, the post-traumatic stress, the anxiety, um, they can go into a, a downward spiral and it can ruin their life. Um, what is a couple of things that like tricks and tips that you learned to manage that, that stress and kind of come through it? Um, there's a couple of things. One was actually a lot of empathy. empathy. Um, and that's probably when I really overcame the experience was when I started to understand a little bit more from the bandits perspective. And like, it's really hard to get to that place. Oh, wow. of, yeah. Okay. What are these guys what were these eight guys going through in their lives in this country to be in a position to do something like to mm-hmm. something like that to us? And then you actually look at the facts of just like what Haiti's like as a country, how corrupt it is. Honestly, some of the things that the United States have done has done to Haiti and how impoverished it is, how awful the police force is. And it's really a, you know, a do or die type of, of state. And it's like, you know, okay, what if, what if those eight guys, they all have kids and those kids haven't eaten in two weeks? or three weeks, mm-hmm. or four weeks. And like their intention was never to kill us or anything like that. It was just, we need to eat. And that's kind of what, and it's kind of like, once I kind of got to that level of, okay, it's it's almost empathy. Like, obviously there's a, there was a lot of rage, a lot of rage in me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it was, it was challenging, you know, as a man and as a, a prof, like not a professional, at that point, I'm just a D1 football player, but I'm 6'5", 250 pounds, but now I'm hogtied. And, covered in my own urine and crying my face off mm-hmm. and like that can put you that can do something to you but it really it came down you know to that empathy mm-hmm. and like almost like the universe and god it'll all play out in itself and it was kind of wild i've never really told this um i when i got back i was still kind of filled with a lot of rage mm-hmm. and because all of our cell phones got taken and I, I, was, I was, I had some awful, like I was, I, mean, I had panic attacks, like instantly on the plane going back and I was cutting off all of our cell phones and kind of, I don't know if you, when you do find my iPhone, you can also leave a message 
if someone turns on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wrote messages to all the people and like translated them in the Creole. And it was literally like, I hope you burn, blah, 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 blah. Like, may God have mercy on your soul, like everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And the wild part about it is two weeks later, two of the eight guys actually tried to, not two of the eight, the, the guys tried to rob another missionary group about two weeks later. And two of the eight, two out of eight of them actually got caught by the police in the town. And I mean, this is the world we live in. And, you know, instead of arresting them or whatever, they literally burned them alive in front wow. of everyone and then shot them dead. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the world we live in. And like, I'm not saying that that's like, that was necessary or yeah. that was what, what they deserved it in that sense. But in the sense, like, to keep me peace in it all, it was, it really came down to empathy and just understanding like, you know, now I have a kid and like, what would I do if my, my child was, you know, starving? And I'm not saying I would do something like that. Um, but desperate times calls for desperate measures. And that's yeah. probably what helped me really overcome it. Yeah, man, that's powerful. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just remember um, going through a very traumatic childhood. And um, that's what helped me also, because, you know, I was taken away when I was 10. And then you know, dealing with that as a teenager and as an adult. And then I had to look back and do that empathy. Like, mm. you know, my mother's problem, my dad's problem, you know, had nothing to do with me and put myself in their shoes and they had trauma that they didn't know how to deal with and, and just take yourself out of the equation. So that's just, that's just powerful, powerful way to deal with stuff. So that's wild. It's, it's, it's a hard, empathy's hard to, it's hard. You have to really almost check yourself and drop your ego and just, really try and feel for someone. Yeah. Man. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a crazy shift here, but I wanted to go into, because <laughs> we just had some stuff go on here. Uh, like what's started out your entrepreneur journey? Like what, what started think, that out? Um, entrepreneurship is just something that's kind of just always, always been in me. And it started when I was, you know, in grade school, I would, try and I cut all my neighbors grass, cut our grass. Uh-huh. I put up ads on Craigslist. I'd have my older brother drive me around town and cut different people's grass. The name of my, I had a t-shirt. It was called the green boys landscaping company. Um, I'm trying to think where I got that name, the green boys. Oh, you ever seen the movie major pain? I have. Yeah. Do you remember? Oh man. I'm trying to think what part it was, but the guy, it was an old guy and he was like, Oh, those are the green boys. And he was talking yeah. about like the military guys. And that's actually how I got the name green boys landscaping. And, uh, so I cut grass and I can't even believe some people even let me as 11, 12 years old, cut their grass. Like, uh-huh. And, uh, moving forward when I got to middle school, my mom had a Sam's clubs card and she's taking me to Sam's club and I would buy a box of Skittles with 36 bags of Skittles in it for $13. And then I would go to school with two backpacks, one with my books and one with my Skittles in it. And I'd sell the Skittles for a dollar a piece and make $23 per box of Skittles. Uh-huh. I didn't, it wasn't the red Skittles. It was the purple wild berry ones. It was kind of like, <laughs> like um, and like, that was my That's thing. I, mean, I bought my first cell phone from that. Like, I mean, I got my first cell phone for Christmas, but like the first cell phone I wanted, it was like the LG chocolate. Um, but I got that from, Selling Skittles, I mean, at scale, I'm talking, I, I mean, I'd probably sell 36 bags a day, sometimes a box and a half a day. And it was, it was, it was wild. I used to keep all my money and I had braces. So I'd take the braces, rubber bands, and I thought I was cool. I'd 
have like a, a roll of ones and have like my base <laughs> rubber band around it. Balling. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, you know, for high school, I, I went to boarding school. So it was actually kind of hard to continue my entrepreneurial journey because it was, I mean, we had school six days a week and it was a little bit different, like very challenging. And once I was going from high school to college that summer, my little brother had cracked his phone for like the 10th time. And my dad was like, I'm not fixing your phone anymore. Um, you know, you don't just figure it out. You just have to deal with your cracked screen. And I was like, you know, let me check it out. And went over to YouTube and learned how to fix a phone. You know, went to Amazon, bought a screen for 25 bucks and learned how to, it took me about six hours. But when I pressed the lock button at the end, it worked. And I was like, whoa. And then I'm like, like my light, my entrepreneur light went off. Yep. And I took my phone out of my back pocket and it wasn't broken, but I just took it all the way apart, put it all the way back together, took it all the way apart, put it back together until I could do it from six hours until I could do it in 20 minutes. And as I went to college, my freshman year, I stepped on campus and I was the iPhone repair guy. <laughs> Three or four phones a day, strictly yeah. off of word of mouth. Um, it was it was awesome because I really, really got good at it. The iPhone four and the iPhone five and to take it to a whole nother level, I took, I had like a bag of just cracked screens and I never threw them away. And I don't, something, something told me not to throw them away. And then I Googled like, what can I do with these cracked screens? And there was this company in Alabama that would recycle those screens for you for $5 a screen. And I was like, Whoa. So I bagged them all up, shipped them out to Alabama and made a solid, you know, whatever on each, you know, cracked screen. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what, went to every single iPhone. I'm like, if I didn't know this, maybe these other guys didn't know this. I went to every other iPhone repair shop in the area and I would buy their crack screens from them for $2 and 50 cents. And then go back to my dorm room and bag them and box them all up and ship them out to Alabama for five bucks a screen, literally flip their crack screens and like made, I mean, I made a solid business out of it. Um, And that's kind of, you know, where my entrepreneurial my entrepreneurial bug just kind of really just kind of kept going. And then in college, my major was business with a concentration in real estate. And the girl I was dating at the time, her dad had just started his own house flipping business. And he took me under his wing and we flipped about 10 houses in North Jersey. And it was, you know, really, really cool. Cause I got to learn how to, I mean, I was side by side with an entrepreneur for about three years, learning his entire business, his systems. I was doing a lot of the legwork, you know, driving for dollars, knocking on doors of pre-foreclosures, putting offers in, hanging out at the auctions, um, you know, at the courthouse steps, um, actually hand wrote the direct mail letters. And so we didn't have to pay for postage. I would literally drive to those people who we wanted to send direct mails letters. And we couldn't put it in the mailbox because that was illegal. So we put it in there, in their front door. And like, it was a grind, but it was like, I got to learn early kind of what it takes. And like, I, I knew I didn't want to flip houses long term. But I got to understand the processes and everything and then get the contrast in the classroom of how to be an employee at like a large commercial real estate firm. So it's kind of like a, a real life rich dad, poor yeah. dad. Crash um, course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where my whole entrepreneurial journey started. That's, that's awesome. I think a lot of people uh, shy away from the mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and I think that's really where the magic happens. Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't making a whole bunch of money by flipping those houses. I mean, he was paying me hourly, but uh-huh. being there, I mean, literally oh, it was me, him and his, his, his first cousin was a general contractor and pretty much me and him did all the subcontractor work. I mean, I was putting down floors, knocking down walls. 
I hired some of my teammates one time to come up to North Jersey with me. And we had, we were, we were changing an attic and turning it into a master bedroom. And the stairwell, like a stair, like a freestanding stairwell just looks wild, like outside of a house and wouldn't fit through the front door. But on the second floor, there was like a huge window. So we took out the window and half of us went upstairs, half of us were downstairs. <laughs> and literally the stairwell through a wind. I mean, it was an insurance probably nightmare, um, but it worked. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's funny, the type man. of stuff we were doing, though. Yeah. Hey, so what uh, what advice would you give? So somebody, a man uh, in the nine to five grind, uh, he's feeling a passion to, you know, to do something else. Like, what, what, where should he start? Like, I think there's a couple things. I think the first start is the real to realize that you have time and don't dwell and complain that you have a nine to five. Most people don't realize, you know, nine to five is 40 hours a week, right? In a right. week, 168 hours. So 40 hours, take that out. It's 128 hours. Now they say health-wise, they say seven hours of sleep is solid for you. So seven times seven, that's another 49 hours taken out. That leaves you 79 hours a week. 79 hours to literally follow your passion. So yeah, you got nine to five, but what are you doing from five to nine? Obviously you have to sleep, mm -hmm. but if you do it at scale and reverse, like you said, reverse engineer your goals to now, because a lot of people, especially if they have a nine to five, they kind of, they realize they don't have much time. Like, yeah, okay, I have, you know, three, seven, eight hours a day. I don't know how many hours a day you have for free, but they, they get so wrapped up with the fact that they're so busy that they feel like they have to accomplish their goals in a one-time sitting. Where in reality, if you actually reverse engineer it to say, okay, in 90 days, I want to do this. Okay, 90 days, you want to do that. Now reverse engineer, what do you want done in 30 days to get that 90 days? What do you want yeah. done this week to get that done in 30 days? I mean, in 90 days, what do you want to get done today to get that? You know what I'm saying? What do you want done this hour? And what do you want done right now? And yeah. then take it from there and now actually write it down and actually reverse, literally reverse engineer it saying, I need to do this today. I need to do this tomorrow. I need to do this the next day. I need to do this the next day. It sounds like a lot, but if you really are passionate about it and it's your passion, then what's stopping you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think it's, it comes down to one, just realizing that like you, you, ha you have time, you have seven, you have more time than you're actually working. Right. So follow your passion. Like, what yeah. are you doing with those 79 hours? Are you exactly. watching Netflix? Are you going <laughs> out? Like, I didn't have cable while I was in the NFL. Like did not have cable at all. Like, I mean, when I came home, it was time to literally work on my business, work on my passion. And I think that's what it really, that, that's the ultimate where it comes down to. Cause a lot of people just, they wind up dwelling and then they wind up scrolling. Like what, or what, what are you doing with that time? Like, I mean, one thing I'd recommend and I've done it, mute every single person that you follow on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mute every like you don't have to unfollow them because then it gets kind of you know weird with that person. But you should only be putting out content like you shouldn't like you should consume the right content and positive things. But people mm -hmm. who are just posting like check out the selfie, check out this, check out that. Yes, I think it's okay to have escapism and things like that, but it depends on what you want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't like somebody's been in your shoes and done it before, so yeah, you can't complain. You can't dwell. It's it's either you're gonna do it, and you're gonna get after it, and this is what it's gonna take. But most people don't want to get into that part of the conversation of what yeah. it's actually to take. I like that. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, you just had fireworks going off in my brain, but uh, shifting from the, the consumer mindset to the provider. Um, 
and it's the same way to build wealth. You focus on, you know, create money more than you spend it. Uh, but it's, yeah, just shifting, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, consuming, trying to, you know, be fed and get full, but actually um, being a provider. So exactly. I love like that. It's, it's, it's real. And there's that, I think that there's only two people, there's two types of people in this world. There's consumers uh, and providers. And yeah. what side do you want to be on? Do you want to be Walmart? Do you want to be shopping at Walmart? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I love that analogy. I, uh, you know, I remember first starting out was a uh, self-defense products because, you know, I had to um, do something that I loved and mm-hmm. I was like self-defense, protecting people, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I just loved that and started turning the gun shows and uh, doing all that stuff. Uh, I grew into uh, furniture because uh, I like rustic uh, type furniture and grew into cool. that. And it's just I like, like that background, by the way. It just kind of just, you know, goes from there, but it's starting. Is Absolutely. It's critical. Yeah. It's awesome, brother. How's, uh, so you're, um, you're a father, right? And then yes. kind of recently. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how's that going for you? Like it's, it's going, it's, it's going great. Um, it's a lot in the sense uh-huh. of, you know, I think the true definition of it is I think for me personally, it's, I realize what my parents met when they say, I love you. Like once I had a kid, mm-hmm. I can choke up when I'd say it because it's that amount of love is, I didn't know I could, I didn't know I could reach that level of love for a person. Um, and it, it was kind of hard. You know, I, I had my daughter on the morning of, I had a game that night. We were playing the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was, I mean, it was, it was one of the reasons why I retired just because it, it, it didn't make sense anymore. Like, I mean, I, for example, one of my long snappers, when I played on the Lions, he was, he's in the NFL for 15 years and he's got like uh, four or five kids, but he's missed all of their first steps, mm. which is just like, that's a lot for me. Like, I don't think there's no amount of money that's worth missing something like that. Um, and like with, you know, football was kind of coming down to like, I mean, as the season played out, it was, you know, six to six, I was gone. And then the baby goes to sleep at seven 30. So I'd have an hour and a half a day to play with my daughter. And then I have to be a fiance as well. So I, you know, I got to hang out with my wife and, you know, and then what about my time to be like to follow my dreams and do what I'm passionate about? Like I had zero time to do that. And it really came down to like, and I'd be in the facility, I'd have my playbook up and like half of the playbook would be people to scout for, people to watch, plays we're doing this week. And the other half is investors to reach out to, um, calls I have to do when I get home, uh, and like all that type of stuff. And it was like, okay, I, my heart is not in football anymore because one, I, I couldn't be the dad that I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And like, I just catch myself just like wanted. It took, it to, it took me to a whole nother level of, because in football and the NFL, people talk to you a certain type of way, like the, the tonality from a coach to a player. It's actually wild. Like um, you wouldn't talk to someone like that in corporate America. Right. Once I got, I once I became a father, it honestly, like, and I'm not an ego driven guy, but I don't know if it took my ego to an, a, a higher level in the sense that like, I'm a dad, like, you're not going to talk to me like that, like in that sense. And it would really, like people would talk to me in certain ways and it really rub me, like, like rub me the wrong way in the yeah. sense that like, I'm a grown ass man and you're really talking to me like I'm a child. And like, it was a, a conflict going on in my head, essentially from that, that perspective. But now that I'm retired, like it's amazing, you know, in the morning, my fiance is a professional basketball player here in St. Louis. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it, um, 
I get to play, you know, I get to do a lot more things you know, with my dad, with my, with my daughter, because I have to, you know, she's at practice, she's got games, she's got, you know, they travel kind of all that type of stuff. And it's been awesome. Cause you know, I, I usually wake up with her in the morning and then bring her back in the bed with us. And then I do my work and then I'll take her for a walk before lunch, hanging. I just being able to know that she's right in the next room is one of the most amazing feelings. Yeah, man. That's, that's awesome. I think uh, I'm I'm blown away a little bit because I'm like judging your age. You're probably like 27, right? 26. 26. Yeah. I can't imagine having your mindset at the at 26. I'm like I'm just I'm blown away. <laughs> uh, you know the purpose, the passion. Uh, man, this is just amazing, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. It's, so it's a huge awesome. credit to my parents, I think, personally. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Um, my last question is, what does it, from your perspective, what does it mean to be a man? Um, I think, you know, what it means to be a man, at least for me, um, I think there's a couple of things. One, it always comes down to, like, empathy is big for me. Mm-hmm. And just being empathetic for all situations, you know, even especially for women um, in that sense. Um, I think for me, you know, being a man means, I wouldn't say, you know, being in charge in that sense. Cause I don't, I, I don't believe it in that sense. Like you have to like alpha, 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 alpha. I wouldn't say like that in that sense, I, I consider right. myself an alpha personality. Um, but I don't think it means that I think to be a man means to one, be the bigger person in every single situation. Um, if you really, if you really, and be like, I, I wouldn't say crazy about it, but actually be very intentional about being the bigger man in every situation, just in the sense of you might not in that, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, you might be in a a grueling argument. You might be arguing with a friend. You might be arguing with your spouse, um, anyone. It might be a business transaction, anything. But if you just essentially become the bigger person in every situation, one, people don't forget. You know, the heat of the moment is, yeah, it's the heat of the moment, but it can be five years later, 10 years later. And like, you'll remember that moment when like you weren't the bigger man in the situation and you were like, man, like I could have, I could have handled that situation different. Oh, yeah. I think lastly is also just, just giving more than you take. Um, I'm just a big, That's big, good. big proponent on just giving, giving, giving and, and without expectations of receiving anything. You know, a lot of people give with the expect with the expectation of you know what I'm going to send one of my clients some 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 box tickets to the Dodgers game and hopefully he's gonna you know he's gonna re up on his order of so and so like and like if you <laughs> do that like, yeah exactly and that, like that's ill and that you have ill intentions in that sense and like people do it every single day but if you give more than you take I think that's that's the ultimate yeah. measure of a man how much how much did you give yeah you know. Uh, yeah, from childhood, um, you know, we're infancy and immaturity and it's, uh, it's all centered around, um, what's in it for me and, um, feed me and take care of me and, and all that stuff. And, um, I, you hit the nail on the head. Manhood is transitioning out of me centered lifestyle and, uh, actually giving. And, um, the sad thing is that there, there's a lot of men still in that, infancy state you know so absolutely and it's hard i don't know how to how to you know how to how to essentially just break the mold but when you can get to that place there it is a it is is essentially a place of joy of just you know you it's it's 
there is, and I wouldn't like not to say like, oh, he's this perfect guy. Gives more. Like, I think there is a selfish part of giving because it feels good. It's yeah, selfless true. for giving. It's self. Mm-hmm. You're very selfless for giving, but it's selfish because of that feeling of just joy of like, I just changed that person because he didn't. You know, he was expecting me to charge him a thousand bucks a month to show him how to invest in real estate, but I just called them and we talked for an hour and a half. And you know what I'm saying? Like, because I do that a lot, and like. I know that feeling and that effect that it does to someone because I've had people do things like that for myself. And it's just things that you'll, you'll just never forget. Yeah. Mm, that's powerful. So last one, I know you're an Eagles fan. Like what, uh, what, what, what are you expecting uh, this year? <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, bleed, I bleed, bleed green and white. Um, I'm hoping, you know, Carson Wentz, you can have a solid year. They just gave uh-huh. him a, a solid extension. The fact that Deshaun Jackson is back gets me so excited because you know true eagles fans remember that mike mike vick deshaun jackson days uh-huh. um and just lighten like just lighten everything up really like the new coach um he's not really new he's been there for what three four years now um but yeah i'm dying dumbing super excited because it's kind of the first season where i can actually be openly an eagles fan uh-huh. Whereas, you know, before I was kind of a closet <laughs> in the last three years. You got to hide it. Exactly. But I, I really didn't hide it. Like on my seatbelt in my car, I had like a seatbelt guard and it was a Philadelphia Eagles seatbelt. Is that a, a contract thing? I'm, I'm unfamiliar. They kind of stop you from... They don't necessarily... They don't stop. I mean, it would just be wild if you showed up to the facility, <laughs> another team, you know, gear on. I don't know if it's a con... Definitely not a contract. It's an unspoken it would- rule, huh? Exactly. But yeah. I mean, my seatbelt thing had a Philadelphia Eagles on it. My, I had a love, I have a love sack in my living room. It has their Super Bowl blanket covering uh-huh. it. My teammates will come over and be like, what, what, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you weren't a fan of a team before you went to the NFL. Like stop lying to yourself. Um, so it's, it's, I can't wait. I, I bleed, bleed, bleed green and white. And I think most people from where I grew up, it's kind of, it, that's, that's, that's just the culture there. Yeah. That's awesome, brother. Hey, man, I, I just appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you so much. You oh, know? no doubt, my friend. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad, you know, to come out and really, you know, just chat it up with you and tell yeah. my story. I appreciate you for giving it's me awesome. the Hey, um, tell, tell everybody where they can find you, website, uh, Instagram and stuff. Um, so Instagram is at HawkVallis80. It's H-A-K-V as in Victor, A-L-L-E-S, and then the number 80. That's my Instagram and Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. It's just Hakeem Vallis. Um, one thing I kind of like to say is that one of my favorite quotes is the fortune is in the follow-up. Mm-hmm. And I think we're presented with millions of opportunities every single day and no one follows up. Right. And I think like, even like this, like we all listen to podcasts and every guest at the end of it says, you know, what's the way to reach out to you? Oh, you can, you know, shoot me an email or shoot me a DM at Instagram, whatever, whatever. And how many people are actually following up with those people? Yeah. When people like when people that you actually want to talk to are giving you relevant information, not many people actually follow up and then follow up a second time and then follow up a third time and kind of see where it goes the 15th time. Just yeah. People kind of just get sick of following up. But I think the gold is in that follow up. So yeah. feel free to reach out to me, you know, to your audience, you know, feel free to reach. I mean, I answer DMs, like, as you know, you DM me yesterday to be on this yeah. show and we're here. 